Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Love doing this podcast. Love having awesome guests like the one I have on with me today. His name is Matt Rea, and he's the Director of Marketing at Green Lancer. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Happy to be here. It's good to have you here, man. I like to kick off the show um, with an interesting question. So I want to ask you, are you more of a TV show guy or a movie guy? Like if you had tonight, you had an hour to yourself or two hours, what would you choose? Oh, it's tough. Um, honestly, I will say TV show only because um, Game of Thrones changed my perspective on that, where <laughs> I love a good movie, but like the amount of detail and character building and storytelling that kind of can go into eight seasons. Um, it's pretty incredible. Some of the emotions that I felt watching that show, I didn't think I'd ever feel watching a show. So <laughs> TV show guy for sure. That's funny. I, I am team TV show as well. It's just, I'm not much of a sit down, commit to two hours watching a movie. Yeah. It just, it's a big chunk of my life. So I'm a, I, I like watching the office quick 20 minutes, 20 minutes yep. in, 20 minutes out. And then I'm done. So <laughs> how, how many, how many times have you gone through all seasons of the office? Um, people don't need to know this, <laughs> 10, 10 plus, 10 yeah. plus. Like I'm getting up there too. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's just good background noise to have on too. It, it is. It's, it's, you could just tune it out, but it's still funny to keep going. So man, people right. did not need to know that I've, I've wasted my life watching <laughs> the office, but here we're we really getting in deep from the first question. Right? <laughs> well, well, awesome, man. I want to jump into, um, how we win with our brand. Um, and we're not talking about branding, we're talking about brand, there's a big difference. Um, so why do you think B2B companies need to stop playing it safe with their marketing? And we'll get into brand a little bit, but I wanna kick it off with that question. A lot of companies play it safe, they don't take risks, and they're just doing the exact same thing as everybody else, because that's the playbook they get. Um, why should we stop doing that? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, there's this, there's this misconception that only the, B2C brands can have fun and create these big splashes and be witty on Twitter, like a Wendy's account or something like that. Um, and then on the B2B side, you've got this traditional playbook that, you know, the marketer dusts off every year and says, oh, it's time to start going to trade shows um, and go into events. And um, then we'll get our leads and then follow up from there. Um, and again, of course, trade shows and events have have their place and definitely are impactful. Um, but at the end of the day, for every B2B industry, um, even if you're a first mover or considered an industry disruptor, someone's going to come along and uh, basically undercut your price or claim to offer something better. So marketing, what marketing can do is help build brand advocacy, right? So, um, and we're not just talking about outgoing marketing. We're talking about customer success and um, you know, how a customer feels when they interact with your brand is super important because that's going to be one of your competitive advantages um, when, when your industry gets crowded and, you know, you've got 
you've got to combat that somehow. You'll have customers who are loyal because of the marketing you've created, because of that brand advocacy, because of the customer experience that they believe in. Um, mm -hmm. So that can kind of help keep you ahead of the curve. How would you define brand? I think everyone has their own answer yeah. to this. I, I'm curious to see like where you stand on that. Um, so uh, the early Matt Rea, when I was a, a young marketer, I'd say it's the look and feel, it's the logo and the colors. And I think that's, again, a, a common um, mis misconception of what brand really is. Um, brand is kind of more all-encompassing than that. It's every single touch point, um, every single feeling that your customer gets when they see your logo or their inbox pops open with a whatever team green lancer email they either say oh yeah i want to check this out or uh yeah they're just going to try and sell me on something um so it's super important um to understand that that spans further than just marketing right that's the ways that the way that your salespeople talk to your customers the way that your customer success managers keep them on board keep them um using your services so it's it's very all-encompassing, and I honestly think brand is more intertwined with company culture than a lot of people realize. Um, it is who you hire. Uh, it is every single touch point. It's even your accounting team, right? Um, and you know, it's it it seems like I'm being um, a bit, uh, you know, too um, putting placing too much importance on it, but um, really, there there is uh, an opportunity for marketing to influence brand in that way, or sorry, marketing and brand to influence the rest of the company in that way. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I, I know you said, it seems like you're putting a lot of emphasis on it. But I think you should because it's what people are going to remember you for in the long run. It's right. not, hey, you're getting a sale today, or, or you're getting a lead an inbound lead today. It's, hey, we're building an audience, we are building a community that might not need us now. But because our brand has been recognized by this, these people, three months down the road, they remember us when they encounter that problem. That's the whole goal, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, who are some brands that you've seen not play it safe uh, with their marketing? Because let's, let's an example in B2C would be Wendy's. And when you think of Wendy's, you think of these witty tweets, like you said, have you seen B2B brands or B2B companies execute that well? Uh, yeah, I will say one in particular, um, Refine Labs is a B2B mm -hmm. SaaS specialist. I'm sure you're familiar with Chris Walker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I followed him because he was a thought leader and because he, he basically attacked an entire industry and said, everyone's doing it wrong. Um, and when you say that, you're going to get people who are like, Ah, shake their fists at them. But then on the mm -hmm. other side of it, you're going to have brand advocates that say, hey, you're right. People aren't doing this properly, et cetera, et cetera. We totally believe in this. Um, and like B2B or sorry, Refine Labs is not necessarily, I would never use their services right now. But mm -hmm. if I'm ever in a position where I need those services specifically, I'm trying to ramp up my efforts at a much larger marketing team. That's who I would go to um, mm -hmm. because of that impact, um, because of the way they empower their employees through LinkedIn to basically create a funnel for their and, and, you know, create demand for their company. <clears throat> is that how you would say companies need to invest in their brand is empowering your employees or are there other ways uh, to do that? Well, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the more, I think that's a, a tactic for them. Um, mm -hmm. But like, if you look at the high level, the first thing you need to kind of do is establish what your story is. 
Um, what is your story? What is your value prop? Um, what is your messaging going to be? And maybe make a statement that might turn some people off of your brand. Uh, because yeah, again, at the other side, on the other side of that is those advocates who are going to say, yeah, that's, this brand understands me because they're making a statement that I, I agree with. I, I totally understand um, kind of where they're coming from. Um, and it might be polarizing. Polarizing is a strong word, but you kind of understand what I'm saying. Um, and building out what that messaging is. And then kind of from there, you can trickle it down into whatever your channels are, whatever your tactics might be. That kind of is your North Star. So it's like on social media, we're going to talk about this. And it's always aligned to our North Star brand messaging. Um, on our outbound campaigns, we're going to try and push this narrative that we talked about is part of our, our brand story, et cetera. So it kind of starts high level and then it can, can trickle down into um, different tactics and channels. Mm -hmm. I like that. What are some ways that you can get that message out there? So you, you solidify the message and you know you have this polarizing view. Maybe it's similar to Refine Labs. Um, I mean, Drift had a pretty polarizing one. Um, what happens then? You said you you get it out into these distribution channels. What does that look like? Uh, like, how do you apply that? Well, I think it's figuring out where your customers are, where they spend the most time. Um, you know, is it is it Facebook? Is it LinkedIn? Um, is it mm -hmm. these more niche community forums? Um, you know, is it even like a Reddit sub channel that uh, people are asking questions and you could have a representative of your company go in and, and answer these questions for them and not sell, obviously. Um, you'd get booted off immediately, but um, just try to be a thought leader in that space. So figure out where the channels are. Um, and then again, first bring value before you do anything else to the customer. Um, get into that and be a part of that conversation um, and then go from there. Cause then you're gonna start creating demand. You're gonna start having hand raisers when they're ready to buy, they're gonna come, they're gonna come to you um, because you've been top of mind for them because of that, those, those tactics and channels that you've properly placed yourself in. Mm -hmm. You bring up an interesting point. Um, obviously we need to add value after we come out with this, this viewpoint that's different than the way everyone else has been doing it. Right. Um, so how do we do that? And why is that so important? Um, because obviously like you can't just say we have this view and then everyone's like, Oh, that's cool. And then you don't give anything to execute on. Right. So right. is that what you put into the content is, Hey, this is the how. Well, I think it's like, all right, here's, here's our viewpoint. And the reason we have this viewpoint is because X is broken. And mm -hmm. so what we've done as Y company is say, this is the solution. And this is why we don't believe in doing things the old way, because we have a better solution for you. Um, so everything that you talk about, all of your thought leadership, um, it's, it's subtly hinting at there's a better way to do this. And we have mm -hmm. that solution for you. So when you're ready to take that step, we are here for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's arguably one of the best ways you can invest in your brand because it's not, again, it's not about today. It's about down the road when they have the issue, you've created the demand and then down the road, hopefully you can capture it because they remember you and they're like, Oh, you know what? I do have this issue. Right. Yep. So before the show, we touched on um, this thing you guys do. It's called blue sky. You, you call it blue sky brainstorming. Yeah. Um, it's just to kind of boost the creativity for your team. If I am getting that right. Can yeah. you explain what that is? Because I think it definitely impacts like your creativity and how you guys stop playing it safe uh, with your marketing. For sure. I learned this from an agency that I worked with in the past and 
basically the way that it goes is like, obviously you've always got your um, idea people. Um, and it seems like there's like one or the other, you've got your idea people in marketing, you've got your people who are grounded in data and numbers and just, you know, cranking out technical um, campaigns and stuff like that. Um, obviously moving towards the middle is where you want to be. So blue sky brainstorming kind of helps you get there. So it's um, basically, it's a way to capture your big ideas, right? Mm -hmm. You go into a brainstorm, you say, all right, we've got 10 minutes of blue sky brainstorming. Tell me all of the biggest ideas you've got for our company, like budget, not even, not even an issue, whatever you want to do. If you want to have Eminem sponsor us or like whatever, like sponsor Eminem to, to talk <laughs> yeah. on behalf of our brand, like that type of stuff. Um, and then you end the blue sky and you say, all right, so we've got all these big ideas. Now let's kind of refine from there. Let's see um, if we could take any of these and turn them into some sort of actionable campaign. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. We, we did this the other week. We were talking about a trade show that we want to showcase at. Um, my CEO was like, what if we brought a top fuel dragster, like those big old dragsters that burn, you know, hundreds of uh, gallons of gas every time they, mm -hmm. they come down the, the track. Uh, what if we showcased one at our booth, like brought it into the actual event? And we were like, super cool, huge impact. Definitely would get everyone in the trade show to go there. But we're also in the solar industry. So bringing something that burns that much fuel doesn't necessarily align. So it was like, mm -hmm. all right, let's refine. All right. So from there, it's like, okay, we're talking to contractors and solar roofer installer type people. Um, most of them drive trucks because that's part of their business. Uh, what if we brought in, you know, some one of the 15 electric truck companies had them, you know, partnered with them and brought it into the booth and had had the actual like a Rivian truck there or something like that. Um, and so it was like, okay, that's more aligned with what we think could be, you know, an activation at a trade show. So that's just like one example of like, all right, we started really big, almost kind of ridiculous, and then and then refined from there to like, oh, this actually aligns because we're talking about electric vehicles kind of has some through through lines with solar. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That's cool. And the thing is, people will remember you because of that. And right. it's like, oh, that seems kind of like gimmicky to just like get people to the booth. But people are going to remember your brand and the fun, enjoyable time they had like, oh, guess what? There's this, this electric truck or whatever it was over at the booth. And they're going to remember Green Lancer. And it just all ties back into, hey, we were being creative. We're not just this stale, stagnant B2B company, we we're actually trying to be different and, you know, impact the brand. So people remember us down the road. I really like that. Um, so you also brought up touching, uh, auditing, like every touch point that buyers have with your brand. And I'm curious to see what does that look like um, for a company? So does, do you guys just go through as a team and just say, hey, this is where the customer journey starts, or maybe it's like top of funnel. And then you just see like what, how the, the experience is like, what does that look like for you guys? So, um, yeah, I would, I would m mention two things. Um, well, first off, I think audit, <laughs> I use the word audit, but it's kind of a strong mm -hmm. word because you get salespeople saying like, Oh, I got to run stuff through marketing. And then we look like <laughs> the bad guys. So there's two yeah. things I think that these touch points fall under. And it's like, um, the direct influence of marketing. So like things that marketing actually creates. So mm -hmm. emails, outbound campaigns, inbound marketing, trade shows, et cetera. And that's where we're, I mean, we're talking about messaging, brand look and feel, actual logos and colors and making sure the mm -hmm. images are right and um, creating a cohesive brand, 
right? And so the marketing team directly dictates what that looks like. Um, but one thing that um, doesn't necessarily uh, stay top of mind for marketers is everything outside of that, which, I mean, for the most part, once you pass off a lead to a sales team, they're going to talk to the sales rep probably more than marketing was in front of them. So it's like, how do you arm and kind of align with the sales team, the customer success team to make sure that they're speaking the right way that you want to speak. So when you're, they're passed off from the marketing funnel, and I'm using traditional words here, but whatever, um, from the marketing funnel to the sales funnel, uh, it, see, it seems cohesive where it's not like I'm talking to a sales guy and things are way different than what I just saw mm -hmm. on the email that I, got, that I received. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's making sure that you can influence them in the right way. It goes back to kind of an all-encompassing brand. Um, but again, auditing, it doesn't necessarily mean like we're sitting in a room and doing a creative review of everything that goes out, but making sure that marketing is more so co-creating with the customer success and the sales team on what they need. Um, mm -hmm. So it has that outside eye um, and you don't have kind of, you know, sales teams creating decks. I love sales guys, but they're not historically great at creating uh, PowerPoint <laughs> or graphic designers. And that's fine. You know, it's, yeah, that's just the way it goes. Uh, so it's just Absolutely. more so, co-creating and, and aligning with, with those teams to make sure you have kind of an all-encompassing view of every touch point with your customer. How often would you recommend company uh, marketing teams actually do that? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of an ongoing thing here because we've always, we're always creating stuff. Um, so, you know, we've got blogs going out every week, we've got emails going out every week. Uh, and we have a rule that it's like, all right, it's gotta be seen by two other people. Um, usually within the marketing team or mm -hmm. someone one of, or leadership. Um, so it's just kind of like an ongoing process of like, all right, get this in front of this person and, and then in front of someone else um, just to make sure that it feels right. Um, and it's not about like, you need approval on this. It's about making sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're getting an outside viewpoint because that's how you make things better. And that's kind of mm -hmm. how we, we evolve our marketing into something that's continuously improving. This is an interesting question. What's something you guys recently started doing as it pertains to brand? Obviously, that's the underlying theme here that you wish your company started doing years ago. I'm curious to see if there's anything that has been like a revelation to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one's tough because it's like super tactical stuff for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, like First thing I think of is like we switched most of our emails over to like just text-based emails. Um, mm. I think as a marketer, I want every email to be really pretty and engaging and, um, look cool and be branded. But like the, the reality is it's probably going to get blocked by Gmail or whatever mm -hmm. IP. Um, so going to mostly text-based emails, but what's that, what that's allowed us to do is be more personable and be more human with those emails that go out. Um, instead of trying to be some kind of, you know, all knowing brand coming to them. It's like, Hey, this is Jack from Green Lancer. I'm your sales rep. Mm -hmm. Let's chat that type of stuff. Um, and then I think uh, one other thing is we've, we've been more consistent with our blog in the past couple of months and mm -hmm. seen an uptick in, in, you know, SEM, sorry, SEO, uh, inbound mm -hmm. traffic, um, which like, great, sure. But, um, it's more so, cutting all of that stuff up and, and, and making it digestible for social um, and yeah. any other channels. So uh, it's like, all right, we've got a blog post going live. Obviously we're gonna push out on all channels, but making sure that 
um, like a customer or someone who's on LinkedIn, like they don't necessarily want to click off LinkedIn. They don't want to go to your, your website. Um, so if they choose to just read the post on LinkedIn, they at least get some sort of value from it. So it's like three or four paragraphs of like good content and then they can move on with their day. And then if they're interested, they can click into the link, et cetera. Um, but just making it like going to where the people are um, and giving them the content there. Um, and then again, that's this, the same thing, like making sure our, our sales reps are super in tune with the content we have coming out because for our customers, a lot of what they do involved with us is super technical. So we write blogs that help walk them through that stuff. So every week it's like, hey, we have this blog going out. It would be great for these types of customers. Keep them in mind, send them an email with it, that type of stuff. So just, I mean, amplifying. And it seems really like, again, I'm giving you a bunch of like technical or tactical examples, but um, all of these little pieces build up over time, right? And that's how you create a brand is those, those all those little drum beats of good, positive interactions with your customer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's so true. And I love the tactical and I know people listening to this are enjoying the tactical as well because they can take it and go do it. It's, it's great to talk about thoughts and, and theories and Hey, this is, this is where we stand on this, but it's like, Hey, this is actually how you execute it is exactly yeah. what people are excited about. Um, you do bring up, I, I love the point that you said with any, I, you, you mentioned LinkedIn, but I'm going to add any social media post that you put out there that you're trying to drive traffic back to a blog. If it's on an awareness channel, you have to add value in the post before you ever ask someone. Um, And I've gotten so much like flack on this on LinkedIn, especially I've, I've said that exact thing. I'm like, look, it's not the place to just post your blog post or your YouTube link and say, Hey, check out our most recent video. People are not on LinkedIn to go to another platform or your website. They're really not, they're there to consume content. So you have to add value in the feed itself And then maybe in the comment section or at the bottom of the post, say, hey, if you want to dive into this further, here's the long form content. But a lot of times they don't need to because you've already given them so much value in the post itself. So I love that you brought that up there. Yeah. 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 It's like a landing page visit or a a click through doesn't necessarily need to be the end metric. You could just Mm -hmm. base it off of engagement or even like post views, I think is a huge thing that is often overlooked. How many people actually looked at and read the post? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And you never know what they're, what is going to be remembered down the road. Again, this is a long-term play with brand. You give a valuable piece of content in the feed. People are going to remember that. I remember that as a consumer. Um, right. Super important. So this point of the show, you had mentioned that uh, I mean, when we're off air that you have done some podcast hosting in the past. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a chance to do that again here on B2B Made Simple. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you and you run the show from here. And if you have any questions for me, shoot away, man. All right. Uh, I would actually talk to me about the founding of, of one click agency. I'm interested to hear about how that kind of came about and your, your background. Yeah. So the quick story is we were a marketing agency that we wanted to do everything. I founded it with my dad um, back when I was in high school and our, his motto was, if a business needs something, we will find a way to do it. And I mean, that makes sense from the outside, right? You want to be able, everything to everyone. And we quickly realized that that's not true. We didn't, uh, we were spreading ourselves very thin with SEO, um, pay-per-click, websites, hosting, management, everything, because we wanted yeah. to be this resource for everybody. Um, fast forward to today, uh, we have since scrapped all that. We're building websites, uh, 
primarily WordPress websites for B2B SaaS companies. We don't even work with um, small businesses anymore. And we have 13 developers on our team. And that's literally all we do is maintenance and uh, website builds. And it's, it's nice to be able to hone in, be able to hone into something. So that's kind of yeah. a quick rundown on, on how I got started. So that's a lesson right there. Niche down, right? Heck like yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> don't try to be everything to everyone. And I think mm-hmm. you guys are obviously doing it really successfully, like super, super niche, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So specific to website design, which is your mm-hmm. specialty, uh, what's the biggest mistake you see B2B companies making when it comes to website design? Um, hmm, there's like, there's so many. So what do I want to touch on? <laughs> <laughs> open, a, big, open a can of worms. Yeah. yeah. Open a can of worms. So one of the biggest things that we come across is companies try to cram everything into one page and that's the homepage. So they want to cram their value prop. They want to cram their benefits, their features, images, testimonials, and all those things are great, but not everything has to be crammed into one page. People just want to get a demo. They want to know that you're a real brand. And if you've been doing well on organic social and you've been creating value, a lot of times people are coming to your website already knowing what you're doing or or what you offer and they just want to take the next step. So they're almost like 90% there and your website has to push them over the edge. So that's where you need to take a deep dive to know, okay, where are our buyers actually coming from? Is it because we're pumping them to the site on from SEO? Then you need to take an approach that is, okay, we need to be more educational in what we do and what we offer. But if your main go-to-market strategy is organic social, brand, demand gen, and they already know, these buyers know exactly what you do, then that should be reflected on your website and catered toward them so that when they arrive, they can immediately book that call, book the demo and get in touch with you. Gotcha. That is a super insightful takeaway that I didn't even think of that like, what's your main traffic source? That's going to dictate what you should have on your homepage above the fold Mm -hmm. type stuff. So that's great. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear about your take on, so like, obviously there's, there's two schools of thought with like things that some people perceive as hindrances to user experience, like chatbots and uh, lightbox pop-ups and stuff like that. But like data will tell you that if you have an email signup pop-up, like that's how you're going to get email signups or um, you get good outreach to your sales. If you've got a chat box that pops up. So mm-hmm. what's your take there? How do you balance that? And, and is there cases where it works for some people and it doesn't for others? Can you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. We'll touch on the, the chat bot for one. I'm a huge fan of chat bot or especially live chat, I should say on a website. Okay. But the main caveat is you have to have someone manning it in the hours that you say you're going to have right. someone manning it. So you need to have a team that responds within 30 seconds or they're gone and it's more of a hindrance for someone than anything. And then you're just going to make them mad because they sit there for an eternity. Right? So if you have the manpower to get someone on the live chat, whether it's an SDR or AE, whatever it is sitting there manning that for the day, then definitely go, go forward with that because I think they're a great tool. Um, as for pop-ups, I, I really go back and forth on this. A pop-up means that you're gating your content most likely. Right. Um, now, in our case, I, for example, in my LinkedIn posts, I'll put a link in the bottom that says, hey, 
if you enjoyed this post, like we do have an email list where we send marketing content every week and that's it. Like it's just value. So maybe if you were to have a pop-up on your website that explained that instead of, Hey, here's our gated content because I'm really right. not a fan of gating. Um, and it's like, Hey, this is value. It's content that's not out yet. So you kind of have to like get on the list to receive it. Then here you can, you can hop on here. Um, mm -hmm. And then to take that a step further, just delay the pop-up for later down the page or when they're right. on for like 10 seconds, because no one likes to be uh, shown a pop-up when they immediately land on a site. It's like walking into a grocery store and getting tackled by the cashier, right? It's yeah. just, you want to go do your shopping. And if you see someone or someone mentions like, Hey, this is over here, then great. And right. that's the analogy I would use for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's good to know. Cause we have a chat bot and based on your feedback, I was either going to take it down or leave it up. So. Yeah. I mean, we, we had one on our site for the longest time and what I, I do all the sales for, for our company. So I would have to man it. And I'm just like, I can't do this well. And yeah, we, we took right. it down because people were coming through and it's like, Oh, I missed that. That was a minute and a half ago. They're already gone. So right. we took it down at least for now until we get more uh, sales manpower, but we really didn't even need it. Gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. Um, all right. So Obviously you're on the, you're in the agency world right now, but if you were hired for like a B2B startup or even like a, you know, a mid-stage B2B growth company, um, what would your first work week on the job look like? First week on the job would a hundred percent be talking to customers that are current customers or customers that maybe they'll answer the call, but have moved on. I've moved on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it would have to be either that, or if they have like gong, and you can listen to the sales calls, it would have yeah. to be understand their lingo, understand their, the way they talk, where they are, how they communicate, because that is the foundational step in marketing before you ever write messaging, come up with a value prop, anything. So if you spend that time for a week talking with customers, you're going to have so much bubbling up outside inside of you for mm -hmm. when you go to start creating a strategy for marketing. So it, that would a hundred percent be what I would do first. Right. Um, okay. So how often, like, how often do you recommend like B2B marketers be talking to their customers? Like, is there a cadence that you found would work better? Like, cause obviously they've got a thousand other things to do. What's, what's something that you feel like would be helpful for someone to be kind of talking to their customers? What, what kind of cadence? Um, I would say as often as possible. And there are some sneaky ways to do it. First of which we, you and I talked about this off air is actually have a podcast, right? And it's not because you're trying to sell to someone when you have them on your podcast, you're simply trying to learn the industry, learn the communication style, the things that are important to them. And then you offer that to your audience of the same buyers, right? So that's, that's exactly what you and I are doing on the show. I'm, I'm learning more and more about B2B marketing every single time I have someone on our podcast, right. I'm engrossed in the industry. The second way is you can actually listen to other people's podcasts that have your ideal buyers on the show. So I'm a huge fan of Refine Labs um, mm -hmm. and their State of the Demand Gen, I think it's the podcast, yeah. um, because they have B2B marketers on the show. So that's an example of me engrossing myself in the industry, learning about, oh, this is how they do things. And I don't have to necessarily be talking on the phone to a customer, but I'm still getting that feedback in that almost like sideways interaction with them, indirect interaction with them. And uh, it's a great way to do that. So as for like how often, 
it's, I guess it depends. And I know people hate that answer, but <laughs> as often as you can, for sure. Yeah. But there are some other ways to go about it where it's not trying to schedule calls with clients right. uh, and yeah. customers. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. So last question, um, just generally, what's like, what's your most, what's the most fulfilling part of marketing for you? I think everyone has their own kind of thing that they love. What, what is it for you that does it? My most fulfilling part about marketing is when I post something on LinkedIn, which is where we do like 90% of our marketing. And I have spent time taking a thought that I have heard about marketing and almost dumbing it down. That's such a rude way to put it. Um, I get what you're saying. Watering it down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Distilling it down. Understand it. And they're like, wow, I have never, ever thought of it that way. Just because I was able to communicate it in a way that they had never looked at it in that manner. Mm-hmm. I think that's the coolest thing ever. And those, those posts pop off and you're like, I did it in two right. sentences. I explained something that people couldn't explain in a blog post. Right. And it's like those aha moments for people is the coolest thing in marketing to me, because it's, you can tell when people are like, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. And someone who does that extremely well, I know we brought him up a couple of times is Chris Walker. Yeah. Like I had no idea what the term demand gen was or creating demand and capturing it until I just engrossed myself in how well he explained, Hey, this is what it is. It's X. Right. And I've been trying to do the same thing for websites and, and content marketing um, in the stuff that I put out. And it's super fulfilling to be like, you know what? Someone got that because I was able to really wrap my brain around it and communicate it. Well, I just think it's so cool. Yeah. Marketers are just teachers. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right. That's, that is all the questions I had for you. I appreciate all you right, letting man. me take over as podcast host for a second. You rocked it. You, you did an awesome <laughs> you. job. Appreciate so it. let's, let's wrap this up. I, I would like to hear um, about what Green Lancer does. I know you guys do stuff for, for solar companies. Yep. So give us like the 30, 30, 30 minute, the 30 second uh, elevator pitch of what you guys actually do. Yeah. So we are uh, basically when an installer goes to you know, install a project on a home, whether it's residential or a business, commercial, even utility scale, they have to get essentially blueprints. Um, we call them permit-ready drawings. Um, and sometimes electrical or structural engineering reviews, depending on building codes and different stuff like that. Um, it's a lot of red tape. It's super complicated if you're a new installer. And a lot of these design firms take a long time to turn this stuff around. So what we've done is we've created a marketplace to connect installers with these fulfillment partners, designers, and engineers to basically turn things around really fast. So we have like an average two-day turnaround versus two weeks with some places. Um, So installers sign up, they come in, they pay per project basis, um, and they can get as many or as little projects as they want. um, And... Yeah, it basically provides standardized deliverables. They have a timeline. They know exactly when they're going to get their deliverables. And then we have a support team that helps walk them through any issues or revisions that they need with some of their um, designs and then basically kind of go from there. So um, it's all of this boring red tape stuff, but um, it is very exciting to be in the solar industry right now. So um, it's, uh, it's been a good challenge. So. Very cool. Well, Matt, this has been a great talk. Um, I love talking about brand. Uh, it's something that we're pushing right now and trying to do things a little bit different than the normal agency route. You guys are doing the same thing. So appreciate you riffing on it with me. This has been Absolutely. a lot of fun, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me and uh, look forward to talking in the future. 